Okay, what's up? And welcome to the very first off-season edition of Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Wojcik with Luke Smith, and I'm not going to lie, uh, I didn't expect to be doing this today. We're recording this on Tuesday morning, right on the heels of Alabama winning yet another championship after they rolled over Ohio State last night. And last week we said we were going to take a week off after we published the 21st and final episode of the 2020 Notre Dame football season, which you know now in hindsight was probably dumb to suggest because there's never really a dull moment with this team, good or bad usually bad, but in this case, pretty good, especially during the offseason. The biggest news came out last Friday night that Notre Dame was hiring Marcus Freeman away from Cincinnati to become the new Bob Hinton defensive coordinator. Freeman was a finalist for the Broyles Award for the best assistant coach in college football this past year and was arguably the most sought-after assistant in the entire country. So big, big get for the Irish to replace Clark Lee. Also, Jack Cohn, former Wisconsin starting quarterback, announced last Monday that he would be transferring to Notre Dame as a grad transfer, and as things currently stand, he'll likely be QB1 next season for Notre Dame. Um, No guests this week since we decided to do this pretty late, but we're going to touch on all the things I just mentioned. Plus, we'll discuss Tommy Tremble's decision to declare for the NFL draft, as well as some other players who have entered the transfer portal. I think it's at 8 now, so a lot going on, Luke. Where do you want to start? Yeah, um, I guess we can honestly probably start with uh, just last night. I have a a spin zone I want to present to you. Um, You know, we keep hearing that stars matter and that Ohio State is in the same sentence as Alabama. Does that just mean that Day just got completely outcoached last night? Because, like, how else do you explain that? I mean, if they have all this talent, like, I know they had some defensive starters out. They got waxed. That game, they lost just as much as Notre Dame did in 2012 in that stadium to Alabama, okay? Like, it was never a game after the first quarter, but we're not going to hear that ever because why would we? Because, oh, Ohio State beat Clemson on a fluke game. Like, those guys never belonged in the playoffs. They played six games all year, and I'm absolutely thrilled they got throttled last night. (laughs) Okay, do you like the spin zone? And you could also say that Ohio State got lucky. I mean, Devontae Smith didn't even play the second half. God exactly. knows what would happen if he did. He was literally unguardable in the first half. And uh, he was unguardable, and one thing, he made Sean Wade look embarrassed. The best tweet of the night came from Booger McFarland when he tweeted. I think you showed it me, too. It was like, Sean Wade better pull a hamstring, or he's going from first round to undrafted. Like, it, it was kind of like A.J. Terrell last year when he got torched by Jamar Chase. He made it in the NFL, but I, I don't know. Sean Wade wasn't getting beat just by Smith. It was like everyone. Yeah, and I mean, talk about getting lucky. Like, Harris was banged up in that game. Mac Jones was banged up. Waddle was – I don't know why he was playing in that game. That was coaching malpractice by Saban. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, it, it just shows you, like, Ohio State grossly overrated again, and, you know, they'll never hear that because they won a title in 2014, you know, on a fluke run. But whatever, I hate Ohio State. I love seeing them getting embarrassed on big stages. I was rooting for Alabama. Well, I I bet on them, one, but I bet on them so that I was rooting for them to blow out Ohio State because then I'd feel like slightly better about getting tossed in the Rose Bowl by them. I I have to say it feels slightly more validated. It's a lot like in 2018 when um, Clemson rolled over Alabama in the championship. Like I feel Notre Dame's somehow finished fifth in the country, so I guess I don't feel that good, but whatever. Yeah, because Texas A&M, you know, barely beat a third of North Carolina's roster in that <laughs> bowl game, but they're really good. Fucking stupid, but whatever. Um, uh, that's enough talk about everybody else in college football. I guess we can get to, to, to what we really want to get to here. And you're right. Um, Marcus Freeman, huge hire. Probably Brian Kelly's biggest win in, I don't know, the last – five, six years on the recruiting trail because, like, you know, I've heard this described as, 
usually in these assistant coaching interviews, it's it's the candidate that needs to win over the school. Here it was just the opposite. Um, Notre Dame needed to win over Marcus Freeman from a host of suitors, including LSU. And to say I'm surprised that he, he picked Notre Dame would be an understatement because we know the sort of financial resources that LSU has and, and quite frankly, the talent that they have makes me think maybe he was afraid of sanctions or something or just didn't really want to step outside of his comfort zone um, entirely because he does have Midwest roots. But whatever it was, I'm glad that we ended up getting him because, like you said, he, he was the hottest commodity on the market and really somebody Notre Dame had to get. And very very few times do we see them get these guys that they quote-unquote have to get. But here we are. Yeah, and it's funny too because when the news dropped, it was kind of weird timing. It came out Friday night of last week, they're pretty late in the evening, and you and I were texting, and at that point, we were both pretty certain that he was going to LSU, because that's what uh, the old Twitter app was saying, but then all of a sudden, Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports just out of nowhere breaks the news that he was going to Notre Dame, and we had heard that uh, he had a, a Zoom call with Notre Dame. He he had his meeting with Notre Dame over Zoom, but LSU flew him out. He had an in-person meeting there, flew back. I guess, slept on it and then ultimately decided to go with Notre Dame. I was shocked, too, like you were saying, the financial reasons. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, just after the 2017 season, when Notre Dame lost Mike Elko simply because they just got outspent by Texas A&M, who's not even the best, not even the top three team in the SEC or not top three program, at least overall. And Yeah, but they're the number four team in the country. Yeah, yeah, I guess now they're doing it better. But they plucked him. There were some rumors. Um, from a guy who calls himself coach that said Notre Dame was really looking at Elko. I never really saw that as a legitimate possibility. And, you know, Notre Dame gets Freeman. That's probably an upgrade anyway. But I have one thing that's sort of been on my mind. I want to get your input on this. So it seems like the best bet here for Freeman in Notre Dame is that he stays two years and then he becomes a head coach because he's made it pretty clear that that's what he wants. As a recruiter, and that was a big part of this, I, it's interesting. Like, do you think it matters to recruits that even though this guy that's recruiting you that you might really like is probably going to be gone after you're a freshman, or maybe he doesn't even like coach at all when you're there? It's a good question, and it's something that I've kind of thought about myself because you're right. You know, obviously, one of the more attractive aspects of this hire is his recruiting ability, but if he's only there for two cycles, two and a half cycles, like how much can you really build off that? I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, Alabama just graduated what they called the greatest class of all time, only to sign what they're now calling could be the greatest class of all time in 2021. You need that sort of sustained recruiting ability to, to really compete for national championships and like not to be a downer, but like the guy's going to be there for two years. Sure. He can make an Hopefully. impact, but I, I, I don't know like just how, big that impact can be um, but does it matter to recruits I don't know because like that's just kind of the nature of college football where coaches are coming and going all the time so I, I don't know how big of an impact it has there but I do wonder how big of an impact it does have you know from a, a program structure standpoint and as you're trying to build just a stockpile of talent absolutely and if you're a recruit like you shouldn't commit to a school for a coach unless it's Nick Saban or maybe Dabo Sweeney or Brent Venable, like someone who's been there for a while and Brian Kelly as well, like someone who's been there for a while and, and you know, you know, they're probably not leaving any, anytime soon, but an assistant coach, like absolutely not. Those, I feel like a long tenured assistant is like four or five years. So you'd be lucky to commit to an assistant that's actually there for the length of your entire college career. So 
Yeah, he's a he's a great recruiter to put it into perspective. Freeman landed a pair of commitments from four-star recruits for Cincinnati's uh, 2022 class. We'll see if those guys stick around. Um, and the Bearcats 2021 class ranks number 34 nationally, which you know isn't that great, but it's 13 spots higher than the next group of five team, and its three highest-rated signees all play defense. So he's really good. He's got a ton of Midwest roots. He played Ohio State, grew up in Dayton, Ohio, um, actually played for Luke Fickle, so it was kind of a surprise that he left him. But he comes to Notre Dame, um, and he's really close with Mike Mickens, the cornerbacks coach. They grew up together, lived in Dayton. But as things look right now, Mickens might be the only defensive staffer on Notre Dame that might be a part of this new regime because it seems like Clark Lee might take a few and Elston might leave elsewhere. How do you think that's going to be like as, as Freeman tries to build uh, a, a potentially entirely new staff? It'll be interesting. Um, obviously, Terry Joseph has already left to go to Texas to join Sark's new staff down in Austin which I guess was an expected move. Um, but we're also hearing reports that perhaps uh, Mike Elston could get the Purdue defensive coordinator job or might just look elsewhere, which, frankly, like I kind of get. You've been in South End for yeah. 11 years, and you're not getting this job, and I don't think you're ever going to get it. So, you know, he, he does seem like a, he's been a great guy. He's really helped build our defensive line room, but it might be time to move on. Um, but, you know, like it, it's also kind of interesting to me because – it seemed like, from everything we hear, Freeman isn't a huge scheme guy. You know, he's willing to do a bunch of different things. And I think a lot of what Notre Dame was hoping to do was keep that rover position in the defense that they've instituted the last several years. Um, and we'll see, like, if it's an entirely new staff, maybe they go a different direction. But I am intrigued to see maybe who we might try to pull and, and what that could look like because we, we've had, you know, since 2016 – some pretty consistent um, staffing on our in our program, so it'd be interesting to see some turnover and see what that might look like. I feel bad for Elston. It seems like he's a great guy. It seems like the players all love him. Like you said, he's been at South Bend for eleven years. He's basically like the coaching equivalent of being friend zoned by Brian Kelly. Like he's been around him for years, and he's made it clear he wants to be a head coach. So. Defensive coordinator is obviously um, the next step from he's been around Kelly for so long and Kelly just like won't promote him. That's got to be kind of like, I don't know, not maybe not insulting, but yeah, he's basically friend zone. Brian's like, I love to have you around. You're a great guy, but we're never going to take that next step. And now it looks like Elson might take that next step um, on his own. So, you know, we wish him the best. It has, we're talking about this as if it's been made official. It's not, you know, he might end up staying. Maybe he wants to meet Freeman, but like, Freeman's just, he just turned 35. That's got to be a little bit of a slap in the face to Elston, um, who's been around. But now Freeman has a chance to sort of build his own staff. That'll be pretty exciting. It'll be interesting to see if he might tap into the Ohio State coaching staff because he's super tight with a lot of guys there. Um, and yeah, it'll be something that's interesting to follow. I'm really just most curious, like how much money do you think he's going to make? Because we're never going to know for sure. But like LSU just gave Bo Pelini $2.3 million a year, dumped him are paying him to not be there because he was so bad. And like I said, Notre Dame was outspent for Mike Elko in 2017. What's your what's your guess? I think there was a report from Football Scoop saying that it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like $1.7 which is a lot of money for a coordinator. But, I mean, that's what you got to do if you want to get these guys. Um, and I think ultimately it, it probably, you know, financials obviously play a part. He has six kids. But, like – He has six kids? He's 35. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, my I know. god. But it, it what it comes down to is ultimately he has his Midwestern roots and that's what he knows best and people keep describing this as a perfect fit and he can't fail, which kind of scares me a little bit because like, I mean, what can't fail? But LSU would have been a big of a bigger step and ultimately that's how he landed at Notre Dame. So I'm excited about it and excited to see where we go from here. Yeah, one last note on Freeman to sort of show you just how good Cincinnati's defense was. Um, last year, the Bearcats ranked eighth in scoring defense. They only gave up 16.8 points per game. They finished eighth in rushing defense, third in opponent passer rating, and fourth in yards per play allowed in the 2020 season. That's pretty damn good on a roster filled with just mostly two and three stars. They were basically guys that you know, Ohio State didn't want or any of the big schools around the Midwest didn't want. So pretty impressive, and I'm pretty excited to see what he can do with uh, some four and maybe, hopefully, five stars at Notre Dame. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, I think our defense has competed at a very high level the next several years, or last several years, but if we can get even better than that, then, hey, I'll take it. All right, now let's move on to Jack Cohn, transfer. Uh, he's 6'3", 221 pounds. He played four seasons for Wisconsin, uh, led Wisconsin to a 10-4 record in 2019. Doesn't like necessarily blow you away on the statute, but you actually kind of had this scoop a little bit earlier than everyone else. Do you want to get into that? Yeah, sure. So I, I have a a friend um, who is very close with people within the Wisconsin building, if you will, and he actually texted me the morning of the Rose Bowl saying, hey, I think Cohen's going to do a, a grad transfer to ND. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said that Rees had been calling into the building nonstop saying that he really wanted him. Um, I think some of the other schools going after him were like Tennessee and Illinois, but I brought that up to people who I was with at the time, and they were like, really? Like, why are we doing that? But I think as time has gone on, we've all realized that this is a pretty significant move for Notre Dame and certainly raises the floor of next year. A guy who has been to a Big Ten championship game, been to a Rose Bowl, won 10 games in a season, um, and overall is just a really strong competitor. I think it's a really good move for Brian Kelly and, and Tommy Reese and his staff. And I think in a lot of ways, Tommy Reese sees himself in Jack Cohn from 10 years ago, um, which is not shocking. And I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, it at least should give you a lot of confidence that Reese really wanted this guy and was and was calling him 24-7. So there you go. Um, and I'm excited to see what he can do for us, considering we, you know, our other options are Brennan Clark, who has a pretty banged up knee, and it seems like might just be done with football, to be honest with you. And then Buckner, who hasn't played in two years, who we you know hope will be good, and hopefully this can be more of a transition period, and then our our you know future Deloitte consultant uh, Drew Pine. So um, <laughs> I, I think this was the best option out there for us. It was. It's like a nice rebound. We just got out of a three year relationship with Ian Book. You know, we're not going to be together forever. We both know it. Both probably eventually be on to bigger and better things. But this is nice, nice little thing in the moment. Kind of serves both parties well. I'm not going to lie. I was not like super high in the Jack Cohn thing because, I mean, he's a Wisconsin quarterback. There is a sort of negative stigma attached to a Wisconsin quarterback. But you know what? Like you said, he's a lot like Tommy Reese. And I think that most Notre Dame fans are going to hear that and be like, fuck that. I don't want, I don't want that. <laughs> he's not like completely immobile like Reese was. Cohn can move around. He's not, we're not going to run like read options to him, but he can move. He's like functionally mobile. He can avoid the pass rush. Doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He he had 18 touchdowns and five interceptions in 2019. But he played really, really well in some big games. The one that sort of 
pops in my head was when Wisconsin was playing Minnesota for a spot in the Big Ten championship game. It was like miserable Minnesota weather, like high 20s, snow, wind. Just it sucked, and he had a great game. So, like you said, it's a big upgrade to anyone else that's currently on the roster. Hopefully Buckner um, is what he's advertised, but considering Notre Dame's history with five-star highly rated quarterbacks, I'm not like – so sure, that's a lock, but I'm I'm pretty excited about Cone now. I think this is going to be pretty good, at least for one year, and uh, it'll serve both parties pretty well. And I don't think Cone's going to be the guy that takes us to a national championship, but as it stands right now, I don't think that's the expectation. Correct, and I, I do think it you know raises the floor to like a ten win season. I think that could very well happen with this guy, and maybe they finally win a New Year's Six bowl game. And if that happens, and great, not that I care about that, and I don't know why people do, but. Um, here's the thing about Cone too. Like, you know, he, he's from Long Island. He's probably got a little bit of an edge to him, just like all those people do. Um, so I like that, my quarterback. And I remember actually when he was at Wisconsin watching him play and I had a couple of buddies that played lacrosse at Notre Dame and Cone was originally committed to play lacrosse at Notre Dame. And they were telling me that when he was committed, like he was pretty set on coming to Notre Dame and Kevin Corrigan, the Notre Dame lacrosse coach, said, no, you should go play football. Like, this is a better decision for you long-term to play football than to play lacrosse here as much as I would like to have you. But kids always wanted to come to Notre Dame, and he gets that opportunity now, and it's coming playing football. So that's awesome. I'm really glad he gets that chance and excited to see what he makes the most of it. So this is the first time that Notre Dame has had a grad transfer come in and be the starting quarterback. And it's an interesting dynamic to me because even though Clark might be done or, or who knows, maybe the knee injury, it seems like a lot more significant than maybe it was previously advertised. And, and Pine's been there for a year. And like, it's got to be kind of weird for a locker room, right? When a, a guy who's been at another school for four years just comes in and is pretty much immediately assumed QB1. And I don't know how the quarterback room is going to adjust to that. They might not love it at first, but it seems like from all reports that Jack Cohn is a great dude, really low key. His tweet um, when he announced that he was going to Notre Dame was his first tweet since 2017. It's kind of shocking for like a division one college quarterback where like the spotlight is sort of on them all the time and it's going to be amplified at Notre Dame, but it seems like he's sort of got the right personality to come into a locker room and not, um, created divide a la 2016 when half the locker room wanted Malik Sire and half the locker room wanted uh, Deshaun Kaiser. But it's something to watch, and um, I don't know. I think he'll fare pretty well in that regard. What about you? Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and talking to people that know him say that he is a great teammate. Um, Tommy Reese loves him, will love him, will love working with him. So I think that's all a good thing as we try to take these next steps. And hey, if we have our receivers healthy next year, even though Kevin Austin kind of feels like Kevin White, and I'm not sure Braden Lindsey really exists either, if those guys <laughs> can exist, then I think we have an opportunity to, to kind of make some plays on the perimeter with him throwing some, some balls that way. So um, I'm excited to see what we can do. I mean, listen, if Mac Jones can throw for 400-whatever yards in the national championship game, well, I can't Jack Cohn because Mac Jones is not that good. <laughs> and I'll say that again. Um, so I don't know, man. Actually, actually – Actually, Jones was behind Jack Cohn by two or three spots in the 2017 recruiting class ranking. So there we go. Okay, there we go. I like that. I like that Spinzo. But remember, Brandon Wimbush was like the number four quarterback and Joe Burrow was yeah. like 26 once upon a time. But we won't get into that. We won't get into that. Um, yeah, I think 
I think Cone will be pretty solid. I, I the biggest thing next year is like gonna be the receivers. When we were watching Alabama and Ohio State, it's like they're playing a different sport on the perimeter. Those guys are so so good and just so fast and so athletic. And something we didn't necessarily see this year, but hopefully. The receivers in the class of 2018, we signed five of them. None of them have really made that big of an impact. Um, hopefully next year we see some of that, maybe out of Lawrence Keys. And then this new freshman class, I know I, I guess the idea of a freshman wide receiver playing early at Notre Dame is like sacrilegious, at least under the Brian Kelly era. But maybe, I don't know, we see Lorenzo Styles or we see some of these young guys and uh, Cone is a bunch of guys to throw to. At least that's, you know, that's how I'm, I'm hoping what happens. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And... I guess, you know, obviously he'll have Michael Mayer um, back and then Kevin Bauman and George Takis. But that, I guess, brings me to probably what we want to discuss next is that um, we are losing a, a dear, dear, f- not friend of the program, but somebody we really loved watching play football. And then somebody, friend of the program, Stanford Steve, once dubbed his favorite player in college football, and that is Tommy Tremble going to the NFL draft. I don't know about you. Um, I was not particularly surprised by this, even though it seemed a lot of people were. Really? How come? Well, like he was targeted maybe seven times the last five games of the year. I think I saw didn't get the ball a whole lot. And you figure going into next year, Mayer's going to get even more targets. They really like Kevin Bauman and the staff. They also like George Takis. Like he probably figured like, yeah, you know, as much as I can continue in the Swiss army, blocking role like I may as well take my shot now um, because I'm not going to get the ball very much next year and I don't really I wasn't shocked by that and I had heard that he had been weighing that and so when he made that decision it really was not that surprising to me it reminds me a lot of when Troy Nicholas went to the NFL but at least Troy Nicholas had a pretty a really solid junior year before he ultimately declared as a receiver tight end yeah Tremble I mean he's an unbelievable blocker he's a he looks like a freak athlete he just runs people over so I think you're probably right he probably looked at the situation like look I'm not going to be getting that many targets I think the amount of snaps he got declined pretty much every game after like the first month the season he just was clearly not the number one tight end anymore and yeah as Michael Mayer gets better I guess I I don't know I I guess I anticipated that maybe they'd start using Mayer a little bit more on the slot similar to what they did with Eifert. Um, like this year he was on the ball a lot, or at least like the first tight end off, but he was still like attached to the line of scrimmage. And then now with what we presume will be a different offense, given the strengths of the team might switch next year on offense. I don't know. I guess I was sort of like hopeful that he'd be uh, like the premier down tight end, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. But I mean, Notre Dame's tight end you. I, I think that they'll definitely be able to rebound. But the one thing that, that kind of sucks the most about this is considering next year, Notre Dame's going to have a, pretty much brand new offensive line with four new starters. It would have been really nice to have Tremble sort of help out on the outside and maybe help out with either if Jarrett Patterson's at left tackle or whoever it may be. It would have been nice to have him out there blocking. Yeah, without a doubt, um, definitely a loss. And, you know, one that that group is going to have to figure out. Um, But that's actually not a position I'm really concerned about, and we can get into that later. But I just think the offensive line is going to be fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that that was probably the most significant of the departures to date. But we have had a number of other transfers, if you want to get into that. Yeah, t- to be honest, I don't make much of the transfers at all. I mean, I feel no. like this is just going to be a ha- this is going to happen. It's a, sort of a product of the weird eligibility rule in 2020 where everyone just gets another year of eligibility. So why not transfer? And there's not one single transfer to list a few 
Um, Jameer Smith obviously announced he was transferring earlier in the year. Jafar Armstrong said he was going to transfer at the end of the year. John Olmstead, Colin Grunhard, a walk-on. Um, Jack Lamb, Ovi, Chefu. Um, Isaiah Rutherford, who's a big recruit, that kind of sucks, um, especially at cornerback, a position we don't typically recruit well. Looks like he's going to Arizona. Um, Isaiah Robertson and Jordan Gamarkeith, he announced a while ago. Oh, and Houston Griffith. How could I forget? Houston Griffith is probably the biggest one. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like outside of Houston, any of these guys were going to be starters next season. So I'm not necessarily surprised, but I do expect, um, on the other side of this, I expect Notre Dame to be very active in getting transfers to come to Notre Dame. You think so? I mean, I guess we just haven't really seen a lot of it yet to date. Um, maybe they still will. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if they really pursued, but we'll see. Um, I honestly haven't given that a ton of thought and, you know, obviously there are some holes that I think they'd like to fill, but I think it's balancing both developing your current roster and going after pieces that can help your roster be better. But I don't really know if Notre Dame's in that position this year where it's like a one year, like we could use this guy to win now, like we did with the Nick McLeod per se. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they balance that out. That said, I would not be shocked if they went after a cornerback transfer because that's a position where they're pretty thin. Yeah. And safety too, like yeah. outside of Kyle Hamilton, because there's going to be like multiple waves of this transfer portal thing because there's this big wave now, the regular season or the season just ended. So now a bunch of guys put their names in. Then there's going to be spring practice. And then after spring practice, there's probably going to be even more guys that want to transfer when they realize, oh shit, like I'm not, I'm not where I need to be for this season. So I think that it's going to come in waves. Notre Dame will probably have a few more guys elect to transfer. Hopefully it's not anyone like on the too deep or anyone who projects to make a big impact next year. But I, I do anticipate there'll be more and hopefully Notre Dame will get a few Getting another Nick McLeod would be sweet because McLeod was potentially the most underrated player on the entire Notre Dame team because he came in at a position of such need. It, it kind of sucks for him that like the lasting memory of him in a Notre Dame uniform will be Najee Harris just hurtling him and just kind of embarrassing him in the Rose Bowl. So that kind of sucks, but I'd really like a player like his caliber. That would be clutch. No, without a doubt. Um, you're right. That is a, a tough lasting image, but... He was a standout, like third team All ACC. He was really, really good for the Irish this year. So if we get somebody like him, I'll gladly take that. Um, that said, uh, just saying that right now, I'm glad we'll never have to say All ACC again. Um, I hope we never ever dabble in that conference and play these weak ass Georgia Tech games. <laughs> and just like I- I'm so ready to get back to our schedule minus Navy. I know the schedule next year is going to be fun. We got two revenge games back to back. We got Jack Cohn playing Wisconsin. That's going to be um at soldier field and then the following week i believe or maybe it's a week before but then notre dame hosts cincinnati so the marcus yeah. freeman revenge game that's gonna be a, a sneaky tough game that cincinnati they got what 15 i don't know how starting. sneaky i don't know how sneaky it is they have like everybody coming back they're gonna be good <laughs> yeah they're gonna be good let's hope the loss of freeman just like kind of devastates their defense but that's about it for uh this episode anything more you want to touch on no yeah, like you said, didn't think we'd be doing this today, but but glad we are, and I'm glad it's because of good news. I know. Hopefully, we don't have to do one of these for bad news in the off season. It's been a pretty decent stretch for us, so knock on wood. But thank you guys for listening. As always, uh, we're now going to try to take our previously scheduled week off next week, but who knows? Something will probably come up, and we'll be back to talk about it. But until then, I hope you all can find something to do now that college football season is over, and uh, we'll be back to talk to you guys again soon.